Born and raised in Cascais, his dreamland, Philippe Santos is the Alfreda da Silva Professor of Social Innovation and Dean of Catolica Lisbon since February 2019. He has a degree in economics and a master's in management and strategy and holds a PhD in management science and engineering from Stanford University with a focus on entrepreneurship. Besides work, he loves volleyball and table tennis in which he likes to be a professional player. Thanks so much for your presence. Philippe My pleasure. Santos. So to start, how and when were you sure that this would be the direction of your professional life? Um, I think I had um, a pivotal moment uh, when I finished my degree in economics. Um, in terms of following an academic career or um, a professional career in management, I, th I think my, um, my goals would be fit for both careers. Uh, and I had a great job offer coming out of my, my degree in a top consulting firm that I had to accept or not. And at that moment, I felt if I accept, I will love it. I'll have a great career. I'll have a good salary. I'll be on my track. But is this really what I want to do? Because at the same time, I loved knowledge, understanding the world. I liked teaching. So I, 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 I doubted for a while. And I still remember the day when I picked up the phone and had to call the consulting company uh, with, and say, look, I, I'll, I'm going to reject your offer and go in a different direction. And I had nothing planned, but I, I uh, uh, then uh, uh, enrolled in my master's degree to continue learning and engaging in a, in a university. Uh, at the time, I, I worked also at uh, an engineering school uh, in, in a management role to be surrounded by, by academia. Uh, and that's then I decided that I wanted to pursue my academic career and then a PhD uh, in the US to gain international exposure and global awareness. But that call was important because I was rejecting a great offer because it didn't feel to be uh, the thing that in my heart I wanted to do. And so maybe the idea of uh, uh, follow your true instincts and intuition, not what seems to be the right thing mm -hmm. to do, but what you believe is in your identity. I think that's the, the advice I, I would- It was a defining moment for you. Yeah, I think it was indeed. I still remember it was 35 years ago and I still remember as if it was today. That's fantastic. And reflecting back on that moment of your life, what advice would you give to a 20-year-old version of yourself? Hmm. Um, I would say, live your life in a way that you have no regrets. No regrets for the things that you didn't do uh, or that you wish to do. Uh, I have maybe one regret, which would be, I love table tennis, I'd like to have developed more professionally as a player of table tennis, which I never did. I only played informally, occasionally. Mm -hmm. That's a regret I have. I don't have many, luckily, uh, but follow your heart. Uh, um, devote yourself to others as much as you can um, and do things not regretting um, the consequences if you are following your heart. Mm. And maybe the other thing I would say is that trust your instincts. Um, so listen to others but in the end, trust your instincts. Sometimes I felt, and I feel still today, that because I listen a lot to others, uh, sometimes I think I know the direction that we should take on something, but because I listen to everyone, then you tend to, uh, to, be, to have some doubts. So don't isolate yourself, listen to others, but then synthesize and follow your instincts and set a direction, and then follow it with courage. That's what I would advise. And so now you're a thought leader on entrepreneurship and innovation worldwide. How have you contributed to this field? 
I always felt in my heart that entrepreneurship is the engine of progress and development of the economy, of society, of capitalism. Uh, and I also personally also had the desire to build new projects, new initiatives, and indeed a few small startups and initiatives during my life. But I wanted to understand more deeply the process of entrepreneurship. And I thought, if you want to understand entrepreneurship, where should you be? You should be at Silicon Valley, which is the hotbed mm -hmm. foundation of technology entrepreneurship worldwide. That's why I decided to pursue my PhD at Stanford. And there I was lucky to find a great environment in engineering school, which is a school that all of the startups have been founded from since Hewlett Packard uh, back in the, in the 50s, uh, to Google, uh, to a lot of startups uh, out of the 20 world startups, 10 have come from the engineering school, which is truly amazing. So I was there for five years, learning about entrepreneurs, and decided to do my, my thesis exactly on how entrepreneurs create new markets. Because the puzzle for me is, given there are so many powerful companies, how come an individual or a team uh, can create something new, with sometimes with no resources, with no advantages, and then become the leaders in the new market? So that was the puzzle that led me to, inv to investigate in depth five entrepreneurs that had created new markets and become leaders in those markets that were now worth billions when they started with zero, with no resources, wow. with no connections. With the, uh, and one contribution I did was that I, I studied the process uh, through which that happened. I found patterns in the five cases I studied and created a model of entrepreneurial action in nascent markets that was published in one of the top journals in the field and is widely cited uh, by more than 2,000 people over the years. Wow, a truly enriching experience. Um, one of your most well-known papers is how entrepreneurs develop new markets. Your studies, you study entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. What did you contribute? Yeah, and that's, uh, picking back to that study that I did, um, what I found was the following. An entrepreneur to really build a new market needs to start first in an area where there's a lot of ambiguity, where there's a new technology that's disrupting, where there's a new need that is not well served, mm -hmm. and a, a, a new area. And, and, it, and the, in that new area of need or opportunity, the established players don't necessarily know how to compete. So you have an initial advantage. And you have an advantage if you can uh, create sense to others about what, what this new market is about. So you tell stories, you frame the new market to the other players, uh, you find templates from other areas and you combine those ideas or templates in a new way. Um, you say, okay, for example, PayPal, we are the eBay for payments. So people know what eBay is, and now we are applying this template to this new field, that's a new field, so that's an example. So as an entrepreneur, you recombine these templates that already exist in novel ways, you tell stories, and then you start engaging with the powerful players in the field, and you establish partnerships with them, and give them a role in this new market. And as you go to a, a top firm or a big player, and are able to engage in a partnership with them, you get some of their credibility, and that credibility then helps you gain more resources and more capability to define what that market is. So over the years, you start defining the market the market has yours, you define the boundaries of how, how that market connects with the market of other players, and then when there are, there's a threat to your, leader, uh, to your leadership in, in that new market, you acquire that threat uh, through uh, proactive acquisitions. And so what I created was a model that through war identity work, through alliance work, 
and through acquisitions action, you are able to define your leadership in a new market. So in essence, is a, a theory of power for low power actors. If you don't have power because you're not a powerful player, a powerful company, how do you gain power and exercise that power? So that was my contribution to the field of entrepreneurship. So I coined the term nascent markets and how entrepreneurs create and establish leadership in those nascent markets. So now you are Dean of Catolica Lisbon. And I know that your master's thesis 25 years ago was about university management. What did you learn in your thesis that you're applying now? I think I was always excited by the meaning and the essence of university. It's a wonderful institution. Actually, uh, one thing I found in my master thesis is that of the hundreds oldest organizations in the world, about 85 are universities. So universities were there for hundreds of years. They have permanence in our society and they have existed for a long time, which means they play a fundamental role. And it's that fundamental role of developing knowledge and understanding of, of the world at the same time as they convey and transmit that knowledge to a new generation that will then deploy it in society. So this combination of knowledge creation and education is fundamental uh, and is the unique role of universities, which is then has a third uh, arm, which is the connection and the engagement with society. So what I developed in my master thesis, being in love with the concept of the university, was how do you manage uh, universities because it's a complex organization. You have students that are partly clients, but you have the faculty, which are the knowledge creators, and you have the research part and the teaching part, which are two different dimensions that have to go together. So how do you manage the complexity of this institution, the university, in a way that's effective, that's value creating for all? So that's what I developed in my master thesis, uh, and I created a model of how to run universities. Uh, and uh, 25 years after, I find myself trying to apply, in a way, ideas of that model at Catholica Lisbon and in the role that universities should play in the future of society. Very interesting. Maximizing stakeholder value for everybody involved. Exactly. You are one of the leaders in the field of impact investing globally, and you teach this course here at Catholica. Mm -hmm. How does impact investing improve the world? We have now a new generation of people uh, that are committed to using the tools of entrepreneurship to impact positively the world. Those are the social entrepreneurs, the impact entrepreneurs, the change makers. Um, but they need resources, they need to scale their initiatives, um, they need to be able to get to mobilize resources to achieve the impact they want to achieve. Here comes the world of finance. Uh, finance plays a very important role in our society. We accumulate wealth in our society and the finance system is the vehicle, is the mechanism through which the resources of society get channeled to the most interesting and available opportunities for investment and for development of the economy and of society. Now, impact investing means that we are channeling those financial resources of society to the areas that can create more value for all. So not to areas of speculation, of, pro, of value capture, of profit maximization, but to areas where value can be created to all at scale. So if, you, if we can guide the financial system to focus on impact and on sustainable development and channel society's resources to those areas, then we'll have a huge impact in society. And that's, I think, what's happening in the last uh, 20 years 
It started with the idea of responsible investing, and then with sustainable investment, investment aligned with the ESG's environmental, social and governance criteria, and now the world of impact investing, where these resources are allocated specifically to support the entrepreneurs who are changing the world, who are finding new solutions to fight homelessness, uh, to fight uh, diseases that are rare and have no solutions, to promote success in education of the new generations, uh, to promote inclusion of uh, communities that are excluded from the job market or from society. So all of these projects and initiatives, and there are thousands of them uh, around the world and in Portugal as well, uh, if they get the resources they need, they will really help ch change the world. So that's the power of impact investing, which is transforming the financial system into a true channel of impact in the world. Amazing. What are some key moments of your life and career that you would consider to be an aha moment? Hmm. Um, I think I'll identify one that was very important for me, which is when I finished my PhD at Stanford and I was passionate by entrepreneurship, so I became uh, an entrepreneurship professor at INSEAD, the, the Global mm -hmm. Business School, and that was in 2003. And I was doing entrepreneurship things, promoting startup competitions, teaching new business ventures, uh, and in that process I met a few social entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs who were devoted to really trying to transform the world for the better. And I got passionate about these social entrepreneurs. I understood there was a movement, a powerful movement of social entrepreneurship around the world. I felt that movement is growing. But as an academic, my role was, how do I explain to others? How do I explain to my economic colleagues, to my finance colleagues, to the world, the role that social entrepreneurship can play in society? And uh, in, in economic terms, in a language that people can understand. So that was my intellectual challenge to puzzle that question, why do we need social entrepreneurs when we already have capitalism and entrepreneurship? And so I, I, I at the time at, at INSEAD, I had a large office that had like a round part. Mm. Uh, and I remember that I put a lot of flip charts <laughs> around the, that round part. And there was a round table, like the, the night's table of the, the round table. And I was there like looking at the flip charts, the stories of social entrepreneurs that I met, my economic concepts and theories. And I was trying to understand what's different and unique about social entrepreneurship compared to commercial entrepreneurship. Mm. And then one day I had an insight that had shaped my career until, until now, which put in simple terms is the following. We built an economic system based on the idea of self-interest. If each person pursues their self-interest, they'll find areas of profitability where they can gain and capture value, but by doing so, they also create value to others in a market system. Mm. And that's the model we created. But there is an alternative model, which is the model that instead of leveraging the self-interest of entrepreneurs, we leverage their regard for others, their care for others. And if we leverage that as a driver for action, what these social entrepreneurs will want is not to create value for themselves, but to create value for others. And as they focus on value creation, for everyone and not value capture for them. Their strategy changes, the opportunities they engage with changes, and that creates the difference between commercial entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship. And we need a capitalism system that has both of these engines of innovation. Let me put this in, in concrete terms. If you are an entrepreneur, a commercial entrepreneur that wants to capture value, your 
you, you want to be in areas of opportunity for value capture. And in that process, you create some value for everyone, but essentially you capture a lot of value for you and for your company. So your focus is in your organization and how your startup or organization can become the controlling entity in the markets and the one that drives the agenda for everyone. That's if you are a commercial entrepreneur. That's valuable. But there are areas that need entrepreneurial work where value cannot be captured so easily. And those areas are neglected by commercial entrepreneurs. So a social entrepreneur comes in and they say, my objective is to create value for my ecosystem and capture a little bit of that value, but mostly to create value for all. And so I don't want to create my firm as the controlling firm in the market. I want my organization to be empowering others to be the best that they can be instead of controlling others to serve me. Mm -hmm. And if I want to scale, I don't want to scale my startup to become the leader in the market. I want to scale the solution that I'm bringing to the world and I can give away that solution. I can put it into public policy. I can replicate it in an open model. I can do some licensing. I don't need to control it. I want my solution to scale and to reach others as much as I can because my goal is to create value for everyone. So interestingly, uh, I had created a theory of how entrepreneurs become leaders in their market and capture a lot of value. And now I had a theory of how entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs can become um, uh, in a way uh, leaders in a new sector by empowering others and giving control to others and value to others. And so if you have those two engines in a capitalist system working very well, you have a capitalism system that serves all, that creates value for everyone with inclusion and sustainability. And that's the capitalist system that we should have in our society. And that's the one I've been trying to create and develop throughout my career. And so on this topic of pushing humanity forward, uh, if there was one thing you could change in the world, what would it be? Hmm. That's a tough question, and choosing one. Um, I will choose, a, I think we are going in the right direction in the sense that we have a lot of people, especially the young generation, passionate about purpose, about having meaning and impact in the world. And with the resources, because of the access to information, because of the impact investing and sustainable investment, because of the focus on, on impact work and social entrepreneurship, I think it's easier to become a social or impact entrepreneur nowadays than before. Um, maybe one thing that I, maybe there's two things that I'll focus on. One is that we need truly global institutions. Uh, we need a global governance to some of the key issues facing our society and a governance that's not dependent on countries. Countries and politicians elected by those uh, populations of those countries have their own interests. They respond to their constituents, which are their electors, their citizens. And we need institutions that are stronger, like the United Nations or others, that respond to the world and not to specific countries. Those institutions need to have autonomy, need to have freedom to create global governance for issues like carbon emissions, uh, like uh, peace institutions, like many other issues in our society. So I, th I think we need to strengthen global institutions and global governance to tackle global issues. That's one issue, that's one area. And a specific example of that is taxation. I think nowadays the issue of taxation is fundamental for making progress in our society. And taxation is now biased and misguided 
because it's not run globally, it's run by countries. Uh, which means that people that have access to good lawyers and good resources or very powerful companies can try to escape taxation and have these tax loopholes or safe havens or offshores, which means that then we have to tax what doesn't move, which is labor. So we have now a tax on the work of people, on labor, which is very high in Portugal and across the world, and so high that this encourages work um, and productivity. And so I think, and with marginal rates of 40 or 50 percent in taxing labor, I think it's harder for society to, to progress, and we are suppressing the middle class. And when we suppress the middle class, we don't have the dynamism in, in our society that allows us to make progress. So I think we need to fix taxation by the following, reducing taxes on labor so that people can have a better life through their work and reducing also tax loopholes, offshores and tax avoidance at the global level so that each one pairs their fair share of taxes and we can move forward in a more inclusive way. So those were the two issues I would tackle, global governance and, more, and, and stronger global institutions and a commitment to fix taxation in a better way, in a more fair way. Thank you so much for sharing your life experiences and insights with us today. Alex, it was my pleasure uh, to have this conversation and uh, congratulations for being accepted at Catholica Lisbon, our, our new master's student in international finance, in your Welcome Week activities. How have things been so far? Excellent. I've, I've met people from all around the world, had opportunities I wouldn't have had in the United States, and got to experience a traditional Portuguese party at the Areal, music, dancing, conversation, good food. It's, it's been excellent. Excellent. So we'd like to welcome well our new students uh, starting to party hard. <laughs> and now this week we start to work hard in our knowledge and, and education. So mm -hmm. welcome. Welcome to Catholica Lisbon. Thank you. Thank you.